T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to The Connection a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. And as you just heard, I'm Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of this program. Joined, uh, very happy to say, by Lisa DeMattis Lapore, who's the president and CEO of The Connection. And Lisa, we're talking about a topic today that's right up your alley over there at The Connection, running a nonprofit as you have done so well for so many years, but it definitely has its challenges. So I'm going to give you the honor of introducing the guest today. Well, good morning and thank you. Uh, welcome to our listeners. I'm really excited today to. Welcome Jean-Carl Casa, um, who is the CEO of the um, Alliance. Um, our Alliance is the voice of our community nonprofits. Um, before um, Jean-Carl became the president and CEO in 2016, he served for five and a half years as undersecretary for the legislative affairs at the State Office of Policy and Management. And while uh, Jean was at OPM, he was responsible for budget-related and other legislation, managed requests for state bonding funding, and was in charge of communications for the agency. Um, he worked closely with the governor's office in all areas. And so there's a wonderful history there with you, uh, Jean-Carl. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, your role in Connecticut, the way you've impacted Connecticut in so many ways. And um, I just want to publicly thank you um, as far as all of the work and support that you have given, not only the connection myself um, as a CEO, but also all of my peers in Connecticut that run nonprofits for being the voice and really supporting many causes and issues that we've had to deal with um, in Connecticut uh, with regard to budget and decisions and um, funding issues etc. So I want to welcome you today. And um, I don't know how you get any rest, John Carl. You always look great, but um, you're doing something right. But um, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, we, you know, we, we really try to work hard for our members because the members are so important to Connecticut and the quality of life. And, you know, I go around and I visit nonprofits around Connecticut or I talk to folks on the phone and you know 
place after place, organization after organization. I'm just so impressed with the hard work and dedication of the people who work for these places and, and what they do for the folks who need their services. John Carl, what, why don't we explain to our listeners out there what is considered a nonprofit organization? You know, we, we understand for-profit pretty well, but nonprofit, what does that really mean? Well, nonprofits pro- uh, generally provide services to the public. Um, it really, um, in many ways, is a tax um, status that they uh, do not um, earn. The, the revenues that they earn don't go toward profit. They don't go toward shareholders, for instance, or the owners. People are paid a salary or a wage who work for nonprofits, um, but if there is say, extra money beyond the costs in a certain year, those are put back into the services that are to be provided. So nonprofits really, um, you know, started a while back. I mean, that nonprofit status. And so with a nonprofit organization, there's a lot of reliance, true or false, on other revenue streams, for example, government support, legislative support. So can you explain how important that is to all the nonprofits in our state? Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly, when you talk about folks um, in the nonprofit community who provide uh, health and human services, they are extraordinarily dependent on state contracts to provide those services. And in fact, uh, nonprofits in Connecticut are essentially an arm of the state in providing services to folks. Um, state government um, can't reach everybody, and certainly not in an affordable way, the way that um, they can, the way that it can, uh, when it uses nonprofits to provide those services. Let's talk about um, COVID and what that hit has been like. Um, I know that, you know, we participated in a survey, and can you talk a little bit about what that, what the results showed? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I think it helps to go back to the beginning of the year and think about a calculation that we did at that time. And I think I spoke to you guys about it um, on your program. And that is that we did a calculation that showed that had state payments to nonprofits kept up with the rate of inflation over the previous dozen years, that nonprofits would be getting $461 million more in this fiscal year, for instance, to provide those services. So they started out the year $461 million behind where they should have been, at least um, by our estimation. And then COVID hit. COVID hit with its array of um, impacts on nonprofits. Um, Folks stopped coming in. So for nonprofits that receive payments from the state, for instance, for the services they provide to each person, when those people aren't coming in, the state isn't making those payments. Um, they, nonprofits have to provide protective equipment, PPE, as people call it. Uh, they had to make physical changes to their, to their structures, to their buildings, in order to make them safe. They had to invest in telecommunications so that people could have conversations over the phone rather than come into the facility. So they incurred a wide range of, of costs. Um, of a whole array of time of kinds at the same time that their revenue was be- falling behind. So it's been a really difficult
difficult year for many. So how do you fix that? Where does the where does the problem lie, if you will? Because it doesn't mean there aren't people out there that aren't in need of these services. That hasn't changed, but the way in which they are delivered has changed. So where do we go? Who do we talk to about this? Where's the where's the money man? Unfortunately, there's really only one solution to that. There there is only it is only sustained and adequate funding by government, by federal and state government in particular, that can maintain these services statewide and that can maintain the quality of life that these services contribute to. Um, people want to know how they can help, and certainly uh, donations and contributions that folks made, they're, they're invaluable. Nonprofits um, often rely on donors and the generosity of the public, and, and nobody can underestimate that. But it can't, that, those donations can't make up for um, a system that starts out $461 million behind. So what people can do to help is really talk to their legislative candidates right now and tell them how important it is that behavioral health services are in their community, how important it is that um, services for folks with developmental disabilities are there or for people who are moving from incarceration back into their communities. Uh, these kinds of services are the services upon which we depend to have a good quality of life in Connecticut. Traditionally, Connecticut has been very generous, um, but COVID and a dozen years of difficult state budgets have really presented a challenge. Yeah, Lisa, talk a little bit about that and how that has impacted the connection, because I know you're not alone in the fact that it's not just starting with that initial you know, I need help, but you offer, as many nonprofits do, a continuum of care, one that builds on the next. Maybe it's from a rehab facility to affordable housing to whatever comes next. So how has this all impacted your agency? COVID has really impacted our agency. And, you know, funding is always, you know, every year we um, go through the concern of funding and flat funding and COVID has hit in many ways, and I honestly believe that we haven't seen yet the severe impact. It's coming very soon, um, and that's evidenced by the number of waiting lists that we have of people wanting to get into services across the state. That is impacted by telehealth and people's inability now to, you know, go into an office and see a therapist. Um, because of COVID, so we've had people have had to move to you know telehealth, and a lot of um, other agencies in Connecticut, not not the connection, but other of my you know peers, have lost you know millions of dollars um, for you know because they they depend on you know um, billing and providing a very crucial survey. You know, behavioral health is huge. Um, dealing with mental health issues. And, you know, we know for a fact that domestic violence has, you know, gone up significantly, which is very scary because people have been home. Um, And then, you know, you're talking about the stressors related to people who have to homeschool their children, loss of jobs, loss of housing. I I have been, you know, I was really taken aback, uh, especially the past three days, by the number of email that we've received on our info email of people who are going to be homeless, who lost a job, um, and were really living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, uh, families. So that's very concerning. 
And, you know, the services are across the state are needed. We, while uh, John Carl talked about, you know, the richness of services, the reality is that these issues are not going away. They're, they're actually increasing because of COVID and the impact that it's had, you know, um, with families and those that perhaps, you know, were just living on the edge, you know, trying to make it day by day. The impact of, we know it's been a huge impact for families that have had to figure out child care with children being home and homeschooling and trying to work and maintain your, you know, health insurance. So overall, you know, it's uh, this juggling act and concern about, the need for we are a business you know i think john carl you've spoken about this many times at the conferences that i've attended and other forums that we've talked about is we are not just a bunch of social workers here you know begging for dollars you know um and we're going to figure it out and someone's going to write us a check tomorrow for a million dollars that's not happening fundraisers we haven't been able to even to really have fundraisers like we typically have we don't make a lot of money from them however we're grateful for them but you know a virtual fundraiser is very different than someone coming to a venue and you know participating but but nonprofits cannot survive on fundraising filling gaps by fundraising or someone writing a check and that's just not reality so the you know, for for example, the connection is 90% um, based on funding throughout the state. So the rest of that percentage, you know, we get from other ways to fill the gap. But we're constantly having to, you know, figure out how are we going to run this program this year, given the issues, given, you know, the breakdown of the program or the wear and tear or, you know, where do you get that money? How do you continue to provide? And it's it's easy to say cut your staff because that's usually your largest budget line, right? But you can't cut staff because if you cut staff, you're cutting the quality. So there comes a point where, and there have been many of my peers, and, you know, there have been times when we have said we can't run this program anymore because it isn't ethically, morally, um, in our best interest to follow our mission to continue to provide services that we're barely making ends meet if we can't provide the high quality of services that our citizens in Connecticut deserve, so deserve and so need. So it's just this constant fear, right? Every year, are we going to make it? You know, are we going to be able to run these programs? Are we going to be able to provide the kinds of services we want to and keep up with the data that we do keep to see that that services do make an impact, that folks have not signed up to um, have mental health issues, or, you know, they come from generational cycles of abuse and neglect, and that people do get better. They, they, do, they do well in, in society. They do give back to our community. We have so many people that, um, in Connecticut that have gotten better from the um, variety of services that myself and my peers provide in Connecticut and that have, you know, become published and that have, you know, been, you know, giving back to society and that are brilliant and that have been given an opportunity to rebuild their lives. Right. And Lisa's Lisa's fired up and I understand why you're fired up, you know, and John Carl, Lisa talks about this isn't just throwing money at it. There are there are numbers, there are statistics, there, they, you have to track your successes. And a lot of these nonprofits are successful, but you can't operate in a vacuum. So 
these are measured results, but when you're not getting the funding to keep that, why is it that people aren't paying better attention to this? I'm confused. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the state of Connecticut and, and people who live here, they have a lot of competing demands for their attention, competing demands for their funding. And I think that what Lisa's talking about really underscores the basic point here and the basic point about what nonprofits do. It's not about um, abstract terms. It's about human beings. It's about a a person who may need treatment for addiction. You know, it may be somebody who's undergoing um, a horrible anxiety because of the situation, the COVID situation that they happen to be in. And when you think, then you look and think about the financial pressures, because the only way to provide services is to have people providing them. The only way to provide services is to have a building on which, for which you pay uh, insurance, for which you pay utilities. Um, all of these are costs. And when we asked our members and nonprofits around the state uh, whether or not they thought they could fully fund payroll for the next three months, given the context that we're in with COVID. About one in five said that they're either somewhat or very unlikely to be able to do that. And if they're unlikely unlikely to fully fund payroll, they're going to be unlikely to provide services to human beings who depend on those. And one in five told us they couldn't do it. Now you can say, okay, well, that means 80% of them can. Well, yeah. But it also means you're tearing a hole in a social safety net that's one-fifth as large as the net. And I'm not sure that Connecticut can sustain that and continue to be the state that we believe it is. One of the things that I've, I've noticed, and it's just an observation, is that it seemed, I remember I go, for example, to Middletown years ago, and it was just, it was a different world. And I'd see people that were needy on the streets. I'd see people that, you know, just were in unfortunate situations all over the place, not just in Middletown, but across the state. For example, Denver, Colorado. You go out to Colorado and homelessness and uh, all these issues, they're right there in front of you. It looked to me like Connecticut was making great progress in helping people get the help they need so that they're not out on the streets. I saw a significant change. And again, this is just my observation. To me, that says services are being provided. What do you fear is the danger, you know, John Carl and Lisa, if this continues to go down the slippery slope? What are we going to be looking at? Well, you know, let's think about Connecticut's economy and what COVID has done to it. In 2008, when the Great Recession hit, um, Connecticut's state budget coffers took a big blow because the people who were losing their jobs were highly paid folks who worked in the financial services industry. Right now, with this COVID epidemic, the people who are losing their jobs are lower paid people, uh, people who would otherwise have to go into work um, and earn relatively little compared to what some of the more affluent folks make. And those people are closer to the edge. They're less likely, if they're not working, they're less likely to be able to pay their rent. They're less likely to be able to get food. And so when we talk to people, for instance, uh, in our membership who provide uh, foodstuffs to to, the hungry, they'll tell you that the lines are much longer than they ever were before. Uh, Demands for homeless services are more than they ever were before because homeless or rather COVID has attacked the people who are most vulnerable to it. And 
uh, that's harmed Connecticut's economy. And again, it means that the people who have been working very hard in order to stay afloat are finding it all that much more difficult to do so in 2020. We, are, we continue to be called upon to help strengthen communities, um, promote civil society, and meet new human service needs, right? And we can't continue to do that if we don't have support and funding. It's not possible. We're here to serve the public, right? Um, and people, like you said, and families, and make those impacts across the state. And it's really difficult to be able to meet that important mission, important mission that we all have, if we continue to go down this road that we're going down. And, you know, people got to understand, too, it's not just the individual who needs the services that are impact. We talked about this better society. But look at all the family and friends and people that are around these individuals that it impacts as well. So you're not only caring for the individual, but you're helping the families. You're helping... You know, it, it, it's like a, it's like when you throw a rock in a, in a pond, right? The waves kind of ripple out. And, and that's what this does. So it's it's just very frustrating. And you said, John Carl, there's a lot of people that are, you know, asking for money. Um, very competitive process up there. It's kind of like who you know and how strong your lobbyist is and all these other factors where you've got to go in and, and fight for your rights. But if people actually heard from the people who've been helped, heard the stories of successes that Lisa and I talk about so many times on this show, from the mother who lost her five children due to addiction, who then got into rehab, who then got into supportive housing, who then got her permanent home and is employed and got her five kids back. Lisa, you know who I'm talking about. And there's a million stories like that. So for these folks not to be able to get the services, it's, it's already just, to me, a dire situation with COVID and everything else. But the responsibility still comes on all of us and our awareness of, of really taking into consideration that this isn't just for somebody that we don't know. This is to, to the benefit, really, of everybody. And if you want to live in a nice state, you've got to have these support services around you or it's, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, again, it comes down to the quality of life in the state of Connecticut. We wouldn't, uh, and people get concerned um, about the impact of COVID costs on, say, hospitals, and they should be. And people get concerned about the COVID costs and its their impacts on nursing homes, and they should be. Those are serious issues. Um, but they have to also understand that nonprofits that provide the kinds of services that the Connection do, does and that other nonprofits do um, are also on the front lines of the COVID battle and also contribute to the quality of life in our state. And to, and we just want to continue to underscore the importance of that they, of the jobs that they do, of the people that they employ, and the people that come to them for services. Absolutely. Well, John Carl Casa, President and CEO of the Alliance. I mean, Lisa, it's got to be somewhat comforting, at least, to know that you've got a, you know, there's power in numbers, right? Um, that you've got somebody out there that's uh, you're fighting together, and it's unfortunate that you got to fight for some of this stuff. But I guess that's what you got to do in a lot of things in life these days. Uh, we want to thank you for being on the program, um, Lisa. I know you you got fired up, and hopefully this resonated with maybe somebody's listening that's a decision maker because you know this is important stuff that we're talking about. Yes, and thank you again, John Carl, for always for your support of 
um, the work that we do in Connecticut and your um, very important role at the Alliance. And I'm really proud to work with you and appreciate your voice um, because it's so important. And so we're going to continue to balance our financial sustainability with our organizational mission. (laughs) It's a core challenge for all of us, but we're going to continue to move forward with your support. So I thank you again for being on our show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And we also want to remind our listeners out there, if you want to know more about the programs that The Connection offers, you can go to the website at theconnectioninc.org. That's theconnectioninc.org. Well, this was a fiery topic, and we want to thank all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend four point four hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.